I can do about it other than just keep on trucking, right? That's what we do. And that's why we keep on doing this podcast. So hello <laughs> and welcome to Red Raccoon Radio, uh, the podcast for our local Bloomington board game shop, Red Raccoon Games, and also delivering you all the information that you want about board game news and sometimes some Red Raccoon news as well, which I think that's a great segue to just go ahead and get started. Hey, Jamie. What happened at the store this week? Oh man. Well, as I was just kibitzing about, man, it's it's uh there's been so much going on at the store and we've had people out and scheduled to go to conferences and the biggest thing is we've been all fighting to keep healthy. Right. Um, you know, we had to close for a day in January because we couldn't keep we had so many staff that were out sick and I almost pulled, I, I might have actually closed, today is, we're recording on Sunday, and I was, I would have probably been closed today if we didn't have a fundraiser today um, for Tent uh, that we're doing in partnership with the Bistro and the Prairie Pride Coalition. If we weren't doing this, I would have just closed the store today because, man, it's it's people's, you know, we have one staff member, the wife tested positive, and just, it's, it's on and on and on, and every time I think I patched a hole, it's uh, uh, you know, the next person shows up sick. And then in the middle of all of this craziness is trying to keep- Just this maelstrom that you're having to live through. Yeah. Um, so we're moving. We're moving the store. If you didn't see it yet, you've been missing out because it's been all over Bloomington normal. Uh, we're moving the store and it's been a project that I've been working on for years at this point. We have been friends for about two years now, three years now maybe, and pretty much within the first six months of knowing you, you told me about this dream that you had. Yeah. And how just, you felt like it was unlikely, but it's really what you wanted to do, and it has been awesome to see behind the scenes you making these small steps to finally get here. Yeah, it's been it's been a wild ride. You know, we've we've uh, so if you missed all the announcements, we are moving the store. We are we are currently at three hundred nine North Main Street, and I have been for years trying to get to the building next to us. And at 301 Main Street, which will put us right on the corner um, and uh, a bigger space. And we're finally making it happen, man. It's been, you know, I couldn't, I've been, this, this building's been for sale for years. Yep. And for whatever reason, the guy who owned the building wouldn't call me back. I kept trying to call like, hey, can we talk about this? You know, because he had the building listed at a pretty high price. And I was, you know, I just wanted to talk about the building and he just, he simply, he wouldn't call me back. And and I'm like, this is the weirdest thing, man. If you've got a building for sale, you know, I, I was gonna, uh, you know, go in with a little bit lower of an offer, but he didn't even call me back to even have the conversation to start with. We, we hadn't gone anywhere at all. And I had pretty much just finally given up on it, right? And, and, and we're going to, we were looking at other properties, Jesse and I, last summer, summer 2021, went around downtown. We looked at four or five other properties. I really love downtown Bloomington. I've, you know, I've had a business down here since 2005. 
My favorite thing is the architecture. I love all the unique details. And, you know, uh, people have often probably wondered why Jamie's wandering around downtown sitting in random places. Because sometimes I will, when I want to clear my mind, I will just go sit and look at the buildings. And, you know, I've said before in the past that um, I went to school for computers, business information systems. And if, if, if I had chosen a different path, I might have gone into architecture because I just love looking at the old, the way they used to build buildings in the, you know, in the 20s and 30s with all the little details and hidden cornices and, and, and things that the architects built into them. I just love that part of, of these old buildings down here. And you don't get that a lot of other places, you know? And because uh, we don't build buildings like that anymore. We're, we're to the point now where we build buildings only for function. Um, anyway, we looked at all these other buildings all over downtown and we couldn't find one that we really were like, man, this is going to work for us. We actually started negotiating on a building at um, uh, 121 North Main Street, which would have put us right across the street from Elroy's, for those that you are familiar with downtown Bloomington and kind of at the corner of Main Street and Washington Street. And uh, it was a four-story building and we really just, we wanted the first floor and then the basement. Again, you know, we wanted to have play space just mm -hmm. like we always do. But it, ultimately it just felt off and I couldn't figure out what it was. And Jesse finally identified it and said, you know the problem, the ceilings are too low because it had always been, it used to be a bank and mm -hmm. it was, it had been offices ever since then. And, uh, and I'm kind of rambling a little bit, but it felt con constrained. Even though it was more square footage, it felt smaller. And we, we, we backed away from that one. We didn't do the deal. We never actually put an office in, so, uh, uh, offer in, so we didn't have to do anything. And I had given up. At that point, I was so frustrated. I had just given up and I said, okay, we're just gonna be where we are for a few years until maybe something else happens. And um, I was, uh, I turned my attention to, okay, maybe we're going to do some different stuff and, and looking at some different ways to grow the build, business because our biggest problem is we're out of space. Right. Anybody who has shopped here knows we have a ton of product crammed into every available space. Um, I love when publishers send us posters and marketing materials and stuff. Um, and the, uh, the, the flesh and blood guy sent us a really nice poster for their upcoming set. But the poster is so big that we're like, we don't actually have this much available wall space anywhere to put the poster unless it's 15 feet in the air where nobody will see it. Exactly. Right? And so, you know, and, and it's just like this laughable thing. Like we encourage publishers to send us marketing materials and then we don't have anywhere to put the marketing materials when they send them. Uh, because we have stuff crammed in every space. Everywhere there was space, we measured it off, found a display or found a rack that we could shove into that corner or into that gap and, and put more product up. I know Red Raccoon is one of the few stores that I've been to where I can actually say, you know, is there any of these in the back? And there might be a chance there is because I don't think many people have even seen kind of the cave areas that you have. Uh, if you come downstairs in the play area, there's doors kind of on both ends and there's just little caves that are just always chock full of games and any place that you can put them. And uh, yeah, space has always been a premium for you. And anybody who's come down and played in the basement area, I think will also agree with that. Well, and if you're tall like I am, uh, ben and I have to duck under some of the rafters in, in the play space. 
let alone if you've ever seen into our storerooms, the ceilings in our storerooms are only like five foot nine. So anybody who's a six foot tall guy has to walk stooped over while carrying product into those storerooms. Uh, definitely not an ideal setup, right? But that's just kind of how a lot of these old buildings are. I, I mean, this building, uh, you, I, I want to say the last time it was rebuilt was 1900 after the big fire. And so I think people were shorter back then. I yep. think, you know, we were, people are generally speaking bigger now because of nutrition and stuff like that. But, um, and I love this space and Bobby, uh, the owner from RJV properties, Bobby has done a great job of supporting us and he fixes things when we ask him to. Uh, but there's some of it is just literally the design of the building that can't be changed. The property that we're moving is it's called the main plaza building. Um, it was, man, the, we're trying to build a history. And one of the things I want to do is I want to have like a history nook of the building uh, when we put it all together. I know that at one point it was a hotel uh, with a theater in it. And the, uh, the Museum of History has a playbill that John Wilkes Booth's brother was an actor and he actually played in some shows in the theater that was in that building. And then, of course, after John Wilkes Booth shot Abraham Lincoln, then his brother could no longer get work. That kind of killed his brother's career as an actor as well. But um, then the, the property had burned down in the Great Fire of 1900. For those of you that aren't from Bloomington, there was a fire that literally wiped out like eight blocks of Bloomington because everything was made of wood. Mm -hmm. And when the fire started, there was no way to stop it. And uh, there's some really crazy pictures of the fire, just the whole area just being ash. And that's it. Uh, and it was rebuilt and it was a Woolworths for forever. Uh, some older members of the community remember it being a Woolworths and had a lunch counter. This place down in the basement, there is still a dumbwaiter where they used to, the, the, the kitchen was in the basement and they would send product, uh, send food up the dumbwaiter to the lunch counter. Um, there's a lot of remnants in there of the old uh, Woolworths building you can see in various places. And then Woolworths uh, moved out of there. We know it was a state farm office for a while. Um, Tony's uh, aunt just sent me a message on Facebook that she used to work in there and it was uh, split up into two different smaller insurance agencies at some point. We know that um, Smith Barney, the financial investors were in there for a while. So when, when, when Kelly's Bakery and Cafe, when we really got involved in downtown, Smith Barney was still in there as a as a, a business and uh, they went kablooey in the 2007 financial crisis, got bought by Wells Fargo. They moved out. Habitat for Humanity was in there. Just all this history, this rich history of this building. And it's been empty for 13 years since Smith Barney moved out. So we're finally getting this opportunity. I, I've given up on the building. And uh, I apologize, everybody listening to me ramble about this. It's such a <laughs> Welcome crazy Welcome to week. Bloomington Architecture, the, the podcast. Yeah, where exactly. We... Yeah. And, uh, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, last September, they reached out like, hey, you still interested in the building? <laughs> I was just like, what? So we started negotiating with them, and we're working through some stuff. And um, uh, we made a bid, and they counterbid. And you're kind of this, the way it goes. And then on the day they sent us a contract and we signed the contract um, 
and they received another bid for full price on the same day I finally freaking Oof. got to this point, right? Oof. All this effort and all these years of work and out of nowhere comes in another builder for full price on the building. And I'm like, seriously, is this really what's gonna happen? I've tried all these years to do this and on the last day. And uh, the owner came back to us and said, hey, if you meet us halfway from your bid and their bid, we'll go with you because you've been negotiating in, in good faith this whole time. So uh, cost me a bunch of extra money in the final minutes of it. And then it became a, okay, now we've got this option and we're gonna, we've got this building. How do we remodel it? Mm -hmm. And then, you know, starts where we're now we're with the bankers and we're going through all the details with them. And uh, we've been working with Town and Country Bank here in Bloomington. They've been great. And we're gonna do a small business loan on it, an SBA loan, which um, if you've ever done anything like that, it feels like I have now given them like every detail of my life with all my financial <laughs> history and everything. Here's the last time I clipped my nails. Yeah. Here's the last time my That's eyebrows what it feels went too like, long. Man, there's yeah. so much paperwork. So I filled out so many forms and documents um, to to make this happen at this point. And uh, but we we're you know we get through we're going through the financing and we're looking at stuff and I'm working with Catalyst Construction and they're trying to evaluate what does it take to get Red Raccoon moved into this space with uh, retail upstairs and play space downstairs. Kind of the same setup we have right now. And uh, we ran into a, a big snag with the, the fact that we were gonna need an elevator for ADA accessibility. Correct. So now the next stage of this goes is the, the bank's like, uh, man, that elevator's $175,000 just for the elevator. It, that elevator and the, also we were going to have to put in a sprinkler system for uh, in order to you know bring the building up to fire codes 75 grand for a sprinkler system so now we're talking two hundred and fifty thousand um, dollars of, of things that will be beneficial for the building in the long run but on the front side you're like ouch right and it breaks all the numbers with appraisals and all that kind of stuff and we went to the city of Bloomington and the city was able to, well, first of all, you know, a lot of people, most of you probably know that I was uh, alderman for the city for Ward 1. The city, we took a, a proposal to them and they said, we can't even look at this as long as you're uh, elected. And it would be a, 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 you know, a transparency issue as well as there's literally a state law against it. Um, and the state law exists because Illinois still leads the nation in number of governors that have gone to jail, right? Hey, we have to have our, you know, laurels on something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so, uh, so the day that the lawyers came to me and said, we can't even look at this, we can't even open this email you sent on, as long as you're elected official, we thought that was coming down the pipe. We thought that was gonna be the ruling. They had taken it outside the city and, and had a third party attorney look at it to make sure they were reading the rules right. And that was the day I said, okay, done tonight, right? And I had them draft up the paperwork. So I didn't even want there to be a gap where I thought about it or anything and gave mm -hmm. anybody a reason to suspect something funny was going on. And it was literally while I was in that meeting, he said, this is the law, this is the interpretation of the law. You can't do this as an elected official. And I said, then I'm done tonight, draw up the paperwork. And that was the day that I stepped down. 
And then the city was able to come through. We worked with the elect, uh, economic development department and the city manager, Gleason, and uh, they were able to craft uh, incentive package where the city is going to help with the elevator and the sprinkler system. It's all performance-based. Um, most of the incentive is, is, is puts the burden on Red Raccoon mm -hmm. um, because it's sales tax rebates. If Red Raccoon moves and we don't keep performing and we don't keep generating new sales and we don't keep doing the things that make customers happy, we don't get the incentive. So we have to take the store, pick it up, move it, and do better there than we have done here um, in order to make this work. I'm, we, we're gonna do it, we're gonna rock it out. That's right? what we it's wanna hear. Be, um, I'm super stoked. Um, we're gonna have, right now, if you've been in the store, we've got about 2,000 square foot of retail. But if you take out the fact there's a giant stairwell right in the center of the floor, I mean, I love the stairs. I, if they were on the left side or the right side, it would be so much easier right in the center of the floor. Makes it a hassle, right? Mm -hmm. All traffic now has to revolve around that stairwell. And I still have this perpetual fear of somebody walking in and slipping on like sleet or something in the wintertime and just going right down the stairs. Like a home alone situation where just yeah. zoom, right there. Yeah, exactly. And I, you know, I got big rugs and carpets everywhere and we do everything to try to stop that, but I still have this fear that it's gonna happen. You know, somebody's not gonna see it or some little kid's gonna go down the stairs or something. Uh, every winter I have that fear. But the space that we're gonna move into will be about 3,200 square feet. 3,200 square feet with no giant stairwell in the center of it. So we're going to have 50% more space upstairs. And then with the elevator, that opens up the downstairs. And the downstairs will go from, we currently have about 1,200 square feet of play space right now. You know, we've got six war gaming tables and the rest are regular size tables for Carter board games. And we will go to roughly 3,500 square feet of playable, of, of usable play space. That lets us have conversations about things like, we've always wanted private rentable rooms. Right. Where if you've got a, a regular meeting with your group for a board game, for D&D, &D, for a war game, war game, whatever it is, you could say, we want the room the second Tuesday of every month, right? Or something like that and rent the room and have it for four hours or five hours for your event. And you, you're not in the kind of that communal area. Most of the time people love hanging out and jamming some games together, but sometimes, you know, it can get kind of loud. When you're trying to play a D&D &D game and you're trying to do a very serious moment, but then the people playing Magic are having obviously a great time because it's a fun game, but are hooping and hollering, it can ruin the atmosphere. Yeah. I could definitely see why a private room would allow you to have the ambiance that your game wants. So the, the actually, and, and usually the complaint is the opposite. It's usually the DMs that are hooping and hollering and being super dramatic, <laughs> like a giant war scene's going on. And the, the magic players, the card players are like, man, they're really loud today. <laughs> that's, that's usually, and that's just, uh, you know, that's the credit to some of the DMs that we have, right? You know, uh, I DM and I know I get super excitable and I'll probably blow some of, uh, some of the, my table players out of the water too. But, but we, uh, you know, so rentable rooms, more space, more war gaming tables, more card tables, 
Um, it's kind of some middle ground tables that are better sized for board games, right? Because some of the board games are kind of big now. Uh, especially you get something like a Frost Haven or something, you're trying exactly. to lay it out on a table. Um, and we talked about things like we're looking at um, like a locker area so that if you don't want to cart all of your books, all your minis and stuff like that back and forth all the time, you can have secure lockers to rent a locker and have a padlock on it. Um, tons of tons of stuff like that. We're you know, trying to figure out how to better integrate some screens for um, round timers and stuff like that for our, our card players. And um, we've, we've even talked about a media room, right? We, we record this podcast in whatever space is available at the time. Our secret location moves for a reason. Yeah, yeah. It's based on where we can go that's kind of quiet. And uh, so, but we're, so we're talking about maybe even making a media room where, one, we can record Red Raccoon product. But, uh, you know, what if we can let other people go in there and they can record their actual play D&D session or something exactly. like that? Yeah. So it's part of a rentable room package or something. Um, I'd like to have it like a dedicated birthday party room. You know, we do birthday parties right now and they're kind of in the mix with everybody else who's playing their games. And, um, you know, Pokemon birthday parties and D&D birthday parties are pretty popular, but we don't always have the space for them on the days that people want to do them. So I would like to have a birthday party room. And all that is in addition to, you know, we've got new lines of paint we want to bring in. I've got um, airbrush stuff that I want to bring in for our painters. We want to expand our offerings that we've, what we carry for Warhammer, for Legion, for micro, uh, uh, Marvel Crisis Protocol. We want to better organize our magic card selection to make it faster for staff members to sort and put them away and pull them for customers um, better display so people can see what we have for board games and, and card games um, there's a lot of new product lines that we haven't brought in that we're like this is really awesome to, to have at the store that we just that ultimately everything hits the where would we put it and that is where the game changer is on a regular basis that's where the the brakes get put on because we can't figure out where we're going to add it to the store. I've been uh, blessed enough to actually see the location and kind of be able to walk through it a little bit. And I can tell you the one thing I do not envy you on is the fact that how much potential you really have in this new space. Uh, there's so much that you could do, so much that you could change to fit just exactly what you need. And to be quite literally now the, the game shop on the corner, to also get the foot traffic, probably a little bit more of the farmer's market during the summer where you know, you're gonna have your spot right there where everybody can see, I think is just gonna be an amazing experience. And yeah. I think it, to me, Red Raccoon has always been bigger than the building that it's been in. And I feel like you're you're having the opportunity to move to a space that can actually contain how much greatness is within the store. So that's yeah. one of the reasons I want to do this podcast that I love working with Red Raccoon and I can't wait to see it grow more. Yeah, it's going to be um, it's going to be a it's going to be a crazy summer. Yeah. Right? Um, and some of this, you know, part of all this stuff, too, is uh, supply chain. We've talked about on this podcast a lot. Supply chain is still going to be an issue because, um, you know, the contractors have said they're worried about the actual elevator itself, about delays on that. That last time they needed one, that was delayed six months. And so that could be, you know, they're already trying to make a plan to say, 
what happens if we get all the way through to the end of this project and the elevator is still not here? Um, you know, can we get temporary occupancy permits from the city? Put in a fireman's pole, something, right? <laughs> yeah, we uh, we need to tilt the head back, push the button, the staircase opens, exactly. there's a pole to jump in. Everybody comes down in a new costume every time they land, it's perfect. <laughs> that would be so awesome. <laughs> That's an ocean nightmare right yeah, there. Right. That's what that is. The Batcave would never <laughs> clear those laws. No. Well, not unless you're a billionaire. Not fair enough. Yeah, you're, you you're can pay off the right people you're a billionaire, at that point. You know, nobody pays attention. I'm pretty sure uh, ocean, never, ocean never got to inspect that part of the Batcave. Here's what I'm going to ask. And it's always bugged me. In the Batcave, obviously they could go down. And in some episodes, they actually went back up and they would change clothes. Is there a middle ground? like in the pool where they stop, actually change clothes and then proceed on the way up? Or is it just that there's some automated system that's ripping off their clothes and like re-sewing it on them as they're riding the pole? I know this is a question for a, a 60 show that I probably don't need to worry about, but it's always bugged me in the back of my mind. You, or is it, so you mean like, uh, you know, the robots that Tony Stark built to put the, uh, the Iron Man suit on? Exactly. Right? Is Tony Stark really just a ripoff of the 1960s Batman TV show? That's what I'm asking. I always assumed there had to have been a middle ground someplace where they got off and changed their clothes and went the rest of the way up. That would make the most sense to me. Although on a regular basis in the, in the 60s Batman show, he would be in an emergency where he would be like in a super, super hurry and slide on the pole and then be running the entire time, jump in the car and, and tear through the waterfall um, to get out of the Batcave. I want us to realize that we're trying to dissect a show where they had the bat costume with utility belt inside of a capsule they could dissolve in water uh, that looks like they could swallow, as well as bat shark repellent. So really, I don't know if we're going to find the answers that are going to satisfy us here. You know, um, one of my favorite parts of that show always will be the scenes where they're walking up the side of the building on the bat rope mm -hmm. and then yep. like other people are looking out their windows and talking to them. I always love those scenes. Always, always, always. Well, look forward to the next commercial from Red Raccoon Games where we'll recreate that. <laughs> but going back to the building, I think it's fair to say you're, you're not 100% sure when everything is going to be ready, when you're going to be ready to open up. I know you probably have some estimated times, but I'm not going to hold you to that. Well, it's, uh, it's, it's next, an idea. Step, next step is city council. So uh, at this point tomorrow, if you're listening to this podcast on Monday, the city council, there's a, there's a still a possibility. I, I think we're good. I think the city manager has presented this in a way that makes it where, like I said, they put most of the risk on us and not on the city. Um, so if we don't perform, we don't get the incentives. Um, but there's still a possibility a city, man, a city council does not approve this on the agenda. And then that's going to start a whole new round of conversations. Um, assuming that that it passes, then the best estimated timeline that we have right now is us moving in. We normally close in January to do a full store inventory, and we're usually closed like three days. We're more like probably closed for an entire week and doing the inventory and moving that week. Count it and move it, that sort of a thing. So that is our best guess right now is is that january timeline but all things are subject to change if yep. the last two years have taught us anything is nothing can be counted on arriving in the right time schedules and things of that nature so um yeah that's winter of 
you know, Q1 of 2023, sometime in that window, right? Because um, one of the fun things that, that some folks may not realize is, uh, you know, we're going to work with the bank, we're going to sign this SBA loan, um, and you start paying loan payments even though you're not in. So I'm still going to be paying rent here and making loan payments there at the same time. And the bank will work with us. There's a construction period where you do an interest only, but that's just like interest only is this every bit as horrible as it sounds, right? right? right. Um, you know, that you keep the payments down, but you're just money is just disappearing off to a bank, um, you know, for the convenience of have of, of doing the construction. And so um, the faster, the better, right? And one of the nice things is you're already able to use the space now for storage and things along those lines, too. So, yeah, we we do have uh, we prioritized and we put um, we moved all of, like our Christmas decorations are over there and um, all of the extra bags. Uh, you know, uh, that was another side thing of last year is with all of the craziness with shipping, I kind of went a little overboard on the bags that we use to put, put games in and say, hey, have a nice day, right? Um, not knowing if bags were going to be another victim of all the shipping crisis. Smart move. Uh, so there's like literally a wall of, of paper bags over there <laughs> at this point. And so all that stuff's over there. Anything that wasn't necessary for the operation <coughs> of the store is, is over there in storage right now. And, uh, you know, a couple folks were like, well, we could put some of this extra Pokemon or magic or something. And I'm like, no way in hell. There's, you know, all of that stuff is staying here with the security system and alarms and cameras and everything else we have in place and secure storage. We're not putting anything valuable over there. Right. Um, and so, yeah, there, there is some storage over there for some non-essential stuff right now. And um, I feel, you know, somebody Kelly's like, aren't you worried about somebody breaking in? I'm like... Uh, I feel bad for anybody that tries to break in and dodge the holes in the floor and, and things of that nature. I will say I've gone to the basement, <laughs> did not know if I was going to come back up because <laughs> it, it when it gets work, it's going to be amazing. Well, I, I pointed out where all the holes were. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Don't but, step here. Uh, we definitely will be talking more about construction throughout the, the podcast. We continue to go involved. If you want more information about uh, the project, definitely check out the Facebook for Red Raccoon Games. There's a huge reveal video that was just done so well. Um, <laughs> I did steal some of the ideas for that video from Common Ground Games in, in Dallas, Texas. My friend Jameson, uh, ironically, uh, his name is also Jameson. Um, uh, he, he did a fun video when he announced he was moving and, and we stole some of his ideas. Uh, it's not stealing, it's R&D. Exactly. Rip and duplicate. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it's a shout out to him. But yeah, it's that video has got a ton of traffic. We've got all positive responses. I've been on TV three times this week. I thought I was kind of, that was behind me with uh, stepping down from city council. Um, I was in the front page of the Panagraph yesterday. Uh, so we've gotten a massive amount of press and coverage on that. And I think that just goes to show how much people love the store. Yes. E even, you know, cause we've done a, we've done a great job of making the store accessible for everybody. We don't want to ever have a store that feels like an elitist place. We want a store where everybody of any category, if you want Monopoly, come on in and buy it. If you want Uno, come in and buy it. If you want 
Frosthaven coming in by. Whatever your gaming level is, we want to have something for you. And I think that we're making strides in that direction, which is why it's gotten so much attention. Absolutely. And so make sure to keep uh, up to date with the Facebook. Keep on listening to the podcast. Uh, I'm sure that you'll start to see things kind of revitalize in that corner space here pretty soon. Yeah, the, yeah we're going to we want to put up some um, drawings of it once the architect gets them done of what it's going to look like. We want to we're going to take the there's some like brown craft paper in the windows and we're going to replace that with actual printouts of the drawings of what we're trying to do. Fantastic. All right. It's exciting and terrifying and exciting and terrifying. Speaking of things that are exciting and terrifying, that's how many people felt about <laughs> Wizards of the Coast finally buying uh, D&D Beyond. While this is a pretty hard transition, uh, I wanted to talk about at least one thing that you have been concerned about, and that is when Wizards of the Coast buy D&D Beyond, what is that going to look like? What are they going to start doing? And what kind of gates are they going to start creating? And this week we actually, excuse me, last week we actually kind of saw possibly one of the first steps in that direction. Uh, D&D Beyond announced that they are going to be discontinuing two books uh, being sold on D&D Beyond. Mm -hmm. And that is uh, Volo's Guide to Monsters. Yep. And the other one is, oh, I'm blanking on it's it. It's Morton Canyons. Thank you. Home of Foes. Home of Foes. Um, yeah. And many people believe that this is because there is a new book coming on, Mordekin's yeah. Monsters of the Multiverse. Right. And it is supposed to redesign a lot of the monsters that are already being shown in these books. However, D&D Beyond has always done a fantastic job of making sure that even if it's content that you don't want in your campaign, you, you can still have access to it. Yeah. There are There's little toggle switches for adding on critical role content, which is technically non-official content, or Eberron content, which might not fit into a normal fantasy world. And so they've always been very good about this. But... Uh, D&D Beyond came out and said, okay, we're not going to be selling these books. If you've already bought them, that's great. You're still going to have the content. You're still going to be able to pull from it. But that this would no longer be a product that they sell. What is your feelings about why they might be doing this? Well, we yeah, so I play in a game too. Um, you know, I run my own game and I also play in one game as well. And we ran into... Uh, a problem ironically the week before they made this announcement um, my buddy Chris is the DM and he had come in and bought uh, you know he got the uh, the new box set that had the new Morden Canaan's book in there and he ran into a problem in the middle of our campaign because the stat blocks of the monster we were fighting were so different from uh, the Morden Canaan's Tome of Foes to the new Morden Canaan's Monsters of the Multiverse, and it threw him off in the middle of the game. They had actually really removed a lot of the monster's capabilities, and he was making notes out of one book in his little notebook he keeps for the campaign from the original book, and then when he needed to look something up, he looked into the new book to realize that the monster abilities were all completely different. It had fewer hit points, it had fewer spells it could use, it had fewer abilities on it. Um, and it really screwed everything up for him because he was because he had left his other book at work right. <laughs> where he was reading it uh, on his lunch breaks and doing, doing his research there. Lunch breaks. Um, air quotations. Air quotations, just occurred. yes. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, yeah, it's... 
I think that they had to make a choice at why they nerfed this particular monster, what that decision was around that, I, I don't know. I mean, if you feel like a monster's too tough as a DM, you just modify it on the fly. If you feel like it's not strong enough, you just add more hit points or you do something different with it. So I don't know why they they nerfed this monster or not, but it, it like I said, it threw that loop in there. And I think that going forward, um, they had to make that decision in D&D Beyond to say, okay, here's what we're gonna show to people, right? Um, here's what we're gonna do. And um, a lot of people were really unhappy with the decision that they made, you know, even though they said if you bought this old content, it's still going to be available. You kind of have to jump through a few hoops to get to the old version of some of these some of these things that were in there. So um, and and they really didn't do a great job of explaining why they made this decision. I I don't know. It's one of my problems that I've always had with digital content um, is that somebody else gets to pull the plug right and i don't i don't know i mean at this point um i i think i've bought three different versions of carcassonne as an app on my phone because asmodee licensed one company to make carcassonne and then somebody else gets the license later and the two versions don't talk to each other and the app store goes dead and you can't get the expansions and stuff I think that we always have to be careful of this balance of, um, you know, availability of digital assets. And and I know this makes me sound like an old codger, um, but I just was, you know, you were over at my house and I pulled out a box and I showed you all my advanced Dungeons and Dragons and second edition stuff that yep. I had in a box. Nobody can ever take that stuff away from me. Um, you know, I've had this, these books for 25 years at this point and they're every, I, I pulled out and I brought in for Ryan to read, uh, my legend of the Spelljammer books, uh, box set that I still had. Nobody can ever take that stuff away from me. And I, I, there's this balance that we all have to figure out what we're going to do for everything in a digital content world going forward. Cause some developer can make a decision that impacts what you've bought in the, in the past. Um, there are apps that have gone dead. There are games that have gone dead. Um, you know, I don't buy um, movies digitally. I know a lot of people do. I prefer to buy the DVD and then I'll rip it and put it on my own Plex server or the Blu-ray and rip it and put it on my own Plex server because if I've got the physical version of it, I can control and at least still have access to that. The flip side of that is um, I have VCR tapes from back in the day that I don't have a VCR anymore. Right. right so, right. so that's an issue too, but, um, I don't, I don't know. I don't know how this plays out going forward. If, if something can just be changed and, and as the owner of something that I, you know, I paid for a developer just can make a change to it that I can't do anything about. I, I'm not sure. I, I don't know. You see, you see where I'm going with the quandary? Absolutely. Because basically what you're paying for is no longer going to be sustainable in a digital space because you technically don't own it. It's the NFT kind of uh, debacle where it's like you're buying something that you don't actually have yeah. and and people can still use it in different ways, even though it is yours and change it on you in a way. Yeah, it's, it's this balance, right? Mm-hmm. The, the balance of convenience versus the risk of, of, of somebody making these changes. And it, 
it's interesting that just thinking in my own life that I have like these different set of rules based on different companies too, because um, I would never buy anything digitally from Apple. The flip side of that is, is I have hundreds of Steam games um, from Steam, right? Right. And, and I don't know why this is that I, you know, I, I realize that uh, I am, there's some uh, hypocritical actions I've taken in there. And maybe it's just based on the company themselves and, and what they have done in the past. And, and uh, so far, Steam has never done anything to me in my experience that have caused me these issues but i have had these issues with apple i have had these issues with stuff going dead from microsoft i have had these issues with other companies and so is it is this a case of um you know fool me once you know shame on me is you sh fool me twice shame on me and so is this the first time from watsi for D, &D beyond uh, shame on you and the second time is shame on me uh, I don't know. I feel like a lot of this is prepping us for a, a time period where D&D &D no longer has additions. That D&D &D becomes more of a, a living thing that can be interacted with in a digital way. Right. So that they don't have to necessarily always have to print retractions or reprint books or, you know, have to have to make corrections down the road, especially in a time period where we are trying to be more kind and gentle to uh, certain groups and understanding that how things are portrayed sometimes need to be reevaluated. So often, I think in some of these books, monsters are being seen in a much different light now. Well, and in an example of that, uh, I'll let you finish. Keep going with monsters, but I do have an example of something that Wizards of the Coast has changed dramatically. Absolutely. And it's, I think that especially with the new playable races that are coming into play, that we're seeing that they are trying to make sure that this game is accessible, that enemies are enemies because of decisions that they made, not because of races that they come from. And I think that in an effort to try and cleanse some non-accepting uh, patterns that they've had in the past, this might be just one of those natural steps where they're trying to say, you know what, we realize that some of these things that we're trying to portray in a narrative sense are not great. We want to redefine how we approach this. And having some of those old books that are just laying around that people can still pick up is not really helping that charge. So by taking them, delisting them off of a product, by the way, the books you can still buy online. You can't, they're, they're not gone. They're not scooping them up and destroying them in big book burnings. Um, like you said, if you bought the physical book, you have it forever. Um, I feel like this is just a, an avenue where they say, all right, this is going to be a, our front line. This is what we are going to show to people. This is when people first come in, what we want people to see. Yeah. And I, I, I personally, as a person who does like Apple, that I buy all my movies on Apple, I think that's, we're very different in that regard. I really appreciate that. I'm saying I want to have the content that is being shown in the best way possible. I want to have the best that you have to offer. And if this is that process, I think I can understand it. Now, I will, let's go on to your point and then we'll talk about how uh, Watsi has been trying to make up for this. But Well, what I was going to say is, is just to support what you were saying is so I'm digging through this box of, of AD&D and second edition stuff I have. 
And in that box is the Oriental Adventures book. Yep. That's kind of a word that was no longer acceptable to use in most circumstances. And um, the uh, one of the books from uh, what was it called Al Qadim, right? The which was um, the Arabic embrace that that Watsi made in I think it was second edition where they try to embrace basically all the tales and legends out of like um, a thousand and one nights mm-hmm. and they brought in Dijen and 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 I was flipping through the book just to kind of look at it like well was it stereotype or race cast or anything of that nature at the time and it was actually fairly culturally sensitive at the time to Arabic and Egyptian and Northern African um, uh, you know, kind of uh, mythology and stuff of that nature, but still a lot of people, I remember once getting called out over that setting, you know, back in the 90s. So it's, again, just to say, you know, we're as a culture evolving kind of some of our ideas of how we portray things. So both of those would be good examples of those are no longer products that are made. And I think Watsi in this, in, in the way that they're going would say, all right, if we wanted to do a book of any of those natures, we should contact the, you know, the people that live those cultures that come from these cultures that are interested in D&D because that's one of the beautiful things that we have now is that D&D has spread out. I mean, we hear about it in, in celebrity in, in interviews at this point. We've heard about people in every walks of life are now more and more involved in these geeky-like atmospheres. And so most likely there is a person that has some cultural touchstones and it doesn't have to be, you know, white guys in a basement planning out what a adventure in this type of world would look like. We can actually get a lot of more different viewpoints in. Yeah. Um, and I think that's one thing they're focusing on. However, I will give credit to Watsi because they announced this. They took a little break while everybody kind of talked about how this wasn't great. And then they said, you know what? We're going to go ahead and give you two free books on D&D Beyond. First being the Acquisitions Incorporated, which is a book spinoff from Penny Arcade, where basically it's like, what if adventuring was a business? And basically guiding you through that process. It's one of their older D&D books, but still there's a lot of fun stuff in there, uh, as well as some great art if you enjoy Penny Arcade. And then another is an adventure called uh, The Lost Minds of Flamvriel, which I think is a starting point to a new adventure they have, which is The Dragons of Stormwreck Isle. So The Lost Minds was the... I, I missed that part that that was what they were doing because isn't The the Lost Minds of Fandrill, isn't that the... That's the adventure out of the old, the original starter box. Correct, the Essentials Kit, yes. Yeah. Uh, not the Essentials Kit, the Starter Box. Oh, excuse me. The okay. Essentials Kit had an Ice Peak one, um, the adventure that was in there. I can't think of the name of it exactly, but it's something about Ice Peak. But it's that's actually, and it was, um, I played through that when it first came out. That's a well-written adventure with a ton of story hooks where you can, you can um, uh, branch off of there. And, and the, you know, yeah. Uh, can I make a funny aside? Please. The people listen to this that are used to this happening. Um, in our group that I run, uh, several of the guys are still running characters that are the starter characters from that box set because that's what I had at home. And I had, when we started, when I started my group originally was with a bunch of guys that had played in high school but haven't played in forever. So I'm like, well, we'll just kind of 
use these pre-generated starter characters in order to kick this off and then we'll stop and everybody will make new characters and we'll have fresh characters going forward and um uh steve ryan and zach are all still running those characters because they like the characters and they never wanted to change now everybody's a much higher level as we've gone on since then but uh, it's just funny to me that all three of their character sheets make references to the reasons why they have need things to go to the to fandover and we've <laughs> never actually gone there as a group so you know, i'd have to rewrite that uh the the lost minds one because it would be so low level that everybody would just like stomp through and kill everything now i maybe i'll do that one of these days and i'll rewrite that to make put higher level uh, encounters into it so it could still be functional aside to your side i was listening the other day that sometimes it's not a bad thing to let your players stomp through someplace. Uh, if it's a short little thing, allowing players to see how far they've come can be such a, a great tool. So maybe they fought a bunch of enemies in their first campaign or first like setting, and then they come back later and just wipe the floor with all of them just to make them realize like, wow, we've really come so far. Uh, somebody was recommending that as a way to kind of give people that gratitude. Don't overdo it. Don't let them become <laughs> dark gods of a goblin race or something. But yeah basically allow them to to feel the growth that they've experienced so. yeah for years when we were doing when jeff was running the uh learn to play dungeons and dragons classes that we do here he had written a custom little adventure that would drop players off at the beginning of that adventure so then if somebody wanted to you know because because it started off as family learn to play D where it was parents bring your children and learn to play together and then we could say here's this starter box now you can go keep playing from here because you're right at the beginning of this adventure you already know the setup of the story um, we've modified that now because that's that product is harder to get and ariel runs those classes and not jeff so we have changed that as we've gone forward but it was it's funny that that's the free adventure that they're giving out. Yeah. It's, it's a good adventure. It is. Speaking of trying to get people more interested in gaming and kind of introducing them in a new way, Asmodee has realized that uh, they want that as well. And they want to open up gaming to more and more people. And so in the news, they just recently announced that they're opening a new studio called Access Plus, with the whole entire concept is to be looking at new games as well as going back to old games and seeing how they can make them more accessible. Uh, and not just from, you know, lowering difficulty, but basically saying that, you know, we want to look at people, and I'll quote this from TechRaptor, uh, according to Asmodee, the new studio is the first of its kind since it will be adapting board games for players with cognitive disabilities that affect speech, social relation, attention, emotion control, planning, and memory. And uh, as part of the studio creation, Asmodee consulted with an external committee of expert care professionals. Uh, basically trying to say, you know what, we understand that some of our board games require a level of commitment that maybe some people just don't have access to in the way that they were designed, or excuse me, not designed, but uh, in the way that their body works. And so what they want to do is really take a look at a lot of their games, as well as their new games that are coming out and saying, how can we make sure that everybody can enjoy this, that we can open this up. And I will say that I actually played in that opening game with... Um with Jeff uh, for D&D, learn D&D, and there was somebody with, uh, who was on the spectrum there, and you know there was accommodations that needed to be made, and he did an expert job of making that happen. But then again, 
not every D&D maybe has that ability. Not every board game has that ability. And I feel like Asmodee is really kind of taking a nice swing on this one in trying to say, what games can we really open up to people so that a family doesn't feel limited in what they can play with their kids or with their friends? I think that we've seen um, this. It may be the first studio of its created with the intent that this is what we're going to do. But we have seen the earmarks of this happening over the last few years, right? Mm -hmm. We've seen game reprints um, and new games coming out specifically designed to say, okay, we need to make sure that we are uh, colorblind aware for this one with patterns and things in the backgrounds and stuff that are distinct for people that have colorblind issues. And we've seen um, games that have come out with uh, with at least some representation as an example uh, I think there was there was a board game that came out called Topiary where one of the meeple figures in there was actually um, a, a person um, that was in a wheelchair mm-hmm. and it was the first time that I am aware of that I had ever seen that in a game right where there were um, uh, and, and then of course Zombicide has now add characters in wheelchairs as well um, we just got a chance to pl- I just got a chance to play with Dwayne's set last week and Dwayne actually painted all his zombicide. Every oh. single one of them is painted and it was amazing to play with. He did a great job with it. Um, and I looked at all my zombicide stuff and went, oh man, now I'm slacking. You got my plain gray figures there. But, um, you know, so we've seen this awareness that's been happening where we have to make some of these accommoda- accommodations as well. And I thought this was such a cool move on Asmodee's part to say, what can we do? You know, uh, we have talked so many times that about the educational aspects of gaming that you, um, you know, you were playing a game to have fun and you're learning on accident in a regular Mm -hmm. basis. Um, Studies have shown that uh, kids that play card games like Pokemon or Magic score better in math tests than kids that don't. Um, You know, Zach teaches fifth and sixth grade history and uses Settlers of Catan to reinforce the ideas of of colonial expansionism when that happened. And all these, there's so many aspects of gaming that that just kind of accidentally reinforce all these learning opportunities. But now to take and say, we are going to purposely design things to help with cognitive issues going forward as you know i think that that's uh, such an amazing idea um for listeners who are of the older persuasion like myself um i remember clearly that uh, a tv show that kind of took on a dementia head first right which was uh, Boston Legal mm. William Shatner's character in Boston Legal was uh, diagnosed with uh, dementia and early onset Alzheimer's and was struggling through the final seasons of the show and he of course if you're a fan of the show he referred to it as he had the mad cow because um, that was how Denny Crane rolled but um, he was talking about in the show that he was purposely focusing on crosswords because it stimulated parts of the brain that um, would help fight in uh, some of these 
deteriorating effects, as well as learning a second language, which used different parts of the brain as well. So I think that that was even back in the um, late 90s aughts, um, that there was some awareness that you could use games and stuff then to battle these things as well. And, and my mom has um, been diagnosed with um, you know, kind of early forms of dementia that we're working through right now. So um, I really thought this was a really an amazing step for asthma to take this and acknowledge that they can do something to mm-hmm. help with this. You know. And as one of the few studios, I feel like are big enough to really do this as well. Yeah, so. I mean they can they can spin up a, a research arm, right? Exactly. And yeah, yeah, you're exactly right. A lot of studios are like five guys, people, right? right? Um, and then some. Then they hire some temp workers when they need um, a big game to ship or something like that. Most studios are fairly small, fairly tight groups. And so yeah, you're right. Asmodee, Watsi, there's only a few of them. You know, Games Workshop and stuff that are probably big enough. To, to really handle this. Uh, going back to the article from Tech Raptor, uh, as for what Access Plus first projects are, they will be adapting three of Asmodee's more popular board games. Those games are Spot It, Timeline, and Cortex, respectively. The changes to these board games will include larger and easier to hold cards, as well as additional difficulty levels and adapted rules. They will even include a single player mode in order to encourage individual autonomy. Uh, these more accessible versions will be available in Belgium, Canada, and France in late 2022, with a worldwide release sometime in 2023. You know, I, I haven't played Cortex, but I played the other two. Um, and Timeline, we sold a ton of copies of it when it came out originally. It was in a cool tin, and Timeline is a game about putting events that have happened into... Uh, chronological order and but one of the complaints we always got about timeline is it used really small cards it did and um, and then they reprinted timeline on bigger cards but they in order to keep costs down they removed so many of the events from the game so you only ended up getting like half the cards you used to get and the new reprinted versions were never as popular so it'll be interesting to see how they approach that. If they, they obviously are shooting to keep the larger cards that mm-hmm. are more, you know, bigger fonts and more easy, uh, easy to read. Um, but uh, yeah, we'll see how if they're able to keep the cost under control on that as well. I'll be interested to see what type of marketing they also allow for it, and maybe help encourage within game shops for selling these type of products. And yeah, that's a good point too. And and, and there's there's a lot of games too. I mean, I was just thinking when when you sent me this article, of you know we have a lot of games that have little cubes, mm-hmm. um, you know, and we have folks who can't grasp those little cubes that are in there. Hell, I just have big hands and, um, you know, I have a hard time picking some stuff up and getting things out where I've been like, you know, Ryan, please help me. Um, and, and over the years, too, another game that I, I love, but we've gotten complaints about in the past is um, just as an example and not to put them in the spot, but Atlas Games is Gloom uses such tiny font um, that one family that I know here in town actually bought one of like those uh, table mounted um, magnifying glasses with the lights on it that <laughs> when they play um, Melanie they Melanie said that they put that in between her mom and her dad when they're over and so that they can pass the microphone kind of the swivel arm and swivel the magnifying glass back and forth between them to read the cards 
they love to play the game and it's you know it's kind of the artwork is kind of take off of the the original Adams Family comics yes yep uh, but the font is so small that her parents love it but they can't read it and so they they do the table mounted magnifying glass between them and in a game where you're also overlapping cards i'm sure that makes it even more complicated yeah however unless you're in france belgium or canada probably you don't you aren't going to see these games until next year uh but if you're living in the bloomington area we can talk about what games are on the new hotness which i will say the new hotness is looking a little different than normal nowadays um it's been taken over by dice <laughs> Not a bad thing. We it, also we have that soon to be dice dragon Ryan on the uh, on staff, so I could totally see why that's more and more. But these dice are not just free floating. Hey, these look cute dice. They are some pretty nice dice sets. Yeah, we um, Beatles and Grimm is a brand of premium um, RPG accessories. And they have been pretty exclusive and kind of, I think, a small production and pretty hard to get stuff. I remember like when the Dungeons of the Mad Mage book released, they did a super elaborate treatment of, you know, you got you got the book, but then you got these super elaborate maps made of really premium quality stuff and and all these handouts that you might want to use of, of people that you could meet in the dungeons and just so they really went over the top with all their accessories and it was like the I think the platinum version was like four hundred bucks and I was uh-huh. like man wow who is buying this stuff and I'm like oh one of the founders of Beetle Grimm is uh, is the actor uh, Matthew Lillard. Um, oh really yeah he was of course famous originally for being in the scream movie series and then went on to be shaggy and scooby-doo yep. he was in if you if you're old enough to remember he was in the really bad um 90s uh hackers movie uh, uh i'm sorry we must be talking about two different hackers movies because <laughs> oh the hackers I, movie i know is exceptional don't get me wrong i love that movie but it is not a good movie john Hack the planet, Jamie. It Hack is not a good planet. movie. It is one of my. It is one of my. Uh, there was. I was on Facebook this morning, and there was like a thing like, "What's one of the movies that you love, um, that you acknowledge as a bad movie?" Most of my top ten could go on that post, right? But uh, this podcast is over. I'm sorry. I can't work with this man anymore. <laughs> just just watching the computer graphic scenes when they're when they're hacking at the end is is so painful. Anymore. Are you saying that Jason Lee and Angelina Jolie vehicle is not uh, an exceptional piece of cinema? I, I can't agree. However, it's, I do know that he has been very active in the D&D community. I believe he's been on Critical Role yeah, uh, yeah, more yeah, than yeah. once, if I remember yeah. correctly. Yeah. It's, well, it was getting back to what we're talking about. These, these little grims, these are dice tins yes and there's a tin specific to each character class you might want to play uh, and the dice configuration of what's in the tin they each one has between 14 and 17 dice in there so it's like buying two dice sets because um, the dice are customized so let's say for instance you're a uh, you're a rogue and so you constantly find yourself in need of more d6s when you're activating your backstab ability this set had the rogue set in addition to being in a tin that has a really nice 3D um, art, artwork of a rogue on the cover of it, has more D6s in there for you. Um, and, and if depending on your character class and what you need, the bard set um, has more D4s in it. The, the wizard set has more D6s. The fighter set has more D8s, right? 
Um, so they really customized each one of the tins based on what you were going to need for there. So those are cool. And then the actual tin itself is designed to be a dice tray as well on the bottom of it. Yes, which is really nice. Yeah, so that's that, like an entire shelf of the hotness right now is dedicated to those because there's 14 different classes. And they're beautiful. They're they, absolutely they really beautiful. are. It makes for a pretty display, too. Ryan did a good job on that one. Absolutely. Uh, speaking of more D&D stuff, though, there is also Fizzbin's Dragons is now a booster box that you can buy for minis. Yes, you, the blind boxes are out. Um, so we had the Fizzbin's book, the Fizzbin's Guide, uh, uh, Treasury of Dragons, came out last year. <laughs> and now we have minis to match. But and are they just minis, Jamie? Well, they're, they're, they're start, starting to be not so many anymore, John. Um, WizKids has, in the past, packaged their miniatures into regular-sized boosters and super boosters, right? And, and so, like, Storm King's Thunder, we saw super boosters where you would get one huge-sized figure um, and then three smaller-sized figures in that, in that packaging as well. That was called a huge-sized booster. This time out, we've got huge size boosters and we've got super boosters. And super boosters are twice as big as the um, as the huges because there's dragons in them. And this is the first time we've seen minis for some of these types of dragons too. Specific ones like the uh, um, the gemstone dragons that have come out of of this Fizzman's book. So. We, we had a sapphire dragon and we, we uh, I think there's an emerald dragon that's just getting ready to come out as like a, a adult ones, but now we've got some juvenile size ones as well. So, um, because parties on a regular basis, maybe not ready to take on a full size dragon. So you need some different sizes, young dragons, wormlings, and, and now some juvenile ones. And this package has got um, emerald dragons, there's a sapphire dragon, there's a planar dragon, there's a, a really, um, there's a horde mimic. It's a mimic yes. that looks like a pile of gold, and then so your 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 uh, adventurers think they found a pile of gold, and the mimic attacks. Um, by the way, WizKids also released a mimic that we had a, had a couple weeks ago in. That's a porta potty, like a, an outhouse, and it's an outhouse <laughs> mimic. So it waits till you sit down, and then it attacks. Terrifying. That's absolutely terrifying. Scare your yeah. players. Um, so yeah, so the super boosters are out. Some stuff there. Uh, we also got um, Wonderbook in, which was exciting to me. I think I talked about it after I came back from the Gamma Trade Show. It's a game based on a book, and we've seen this a few times in games like Stuff Fables or. Um, Oh, what's the one with the cats? The, the kittens. Or Magical the, kittens? No, the uh, the mice were the cats, the bad guy, the kitten they oh, say. Um, it's Apocalypse or something like that. Yes. Uh, I I will look that up as you're talking. Yeah. Anyway, this one, though, that each of those is a book. You turn the page, and each page is a different map. This is a pop-up book. So when you open the book, there's this wonderful tree that pops up, and the various 3D levels of the tree become the map that you're playing on and then just like some of those old pop-up books they had like pages where you could pull out pull a tab and then a, a part of the page would slide out new map 
Uh, so as you're playing through there, you're uncovering and unlocking parts of the game. So the game is a game of exploration and a storytelling game where you're playing and using the various parts of this pop-up book as part of it. Super cool concept. For the people that were shouting at the podcast, uh, Aftermath is the name of the Aftermath, game where you're yeah. mouse in the apocalypse and you're being hunted by a cat. Yeah. Which, by the way, that story is, all of those games look super cute but are actually like very, very emotionally draining. Uh, Aftermath, you learn that they took care of the cat as a kitten and then it grew up and it couldn't find food. And now that's why it's the enemy because it's, they're the only people that it can hunt even though they raised it. Uh, it's, yeah, the, the, the one where you're the toys that go under the bed and find lost things. That's, that's stuffed fables. That's stuffed fables. And that one is emotionally just gut punching. So uh, yeah, be, be wary of that. Yeah, a couple of new uh, new small box games that came in too that uh, are uh, Walkie and Ouch and Vegetables, and those are all from Devere Games. And I took all of them with me to our beer and board games night at Keg Grove last Thursday, and uh, they were all very well received. Um, Walkie is kind of a fun party game where the there are letters and colors. And in order to, you're trying to get rid of your uh, letters or colors out of your hand. And to do that, you have to yell out something that starts with the letter that's showing that's associated with the color that's showing out there. Uh, and it's a little hard to maybe describe on the show, but um, you know, if there's a blue card out there and a uh, uh, an F showing, one of the ones I played, I said, the FedEx logo, it has blue in it. And all you have to do is get the other people at the table to accept it. And they're like, oh, yeah, it does. And then you could play and get rid of a card. And you play your card on top of the appropriate pile. And it so the letter keeps changing and the color keeps changing as it goes along. And so it's this kind of rapid fire, everybody playing at the same time, shouting stuff out. It made for a really fun little party game. It's kind of super light and fluffy. And um, Ouch was an interesting game about... Um, cactuses, cacti, cactuses, cactus. Uh, no, I think it was that last one. Was right yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, you know, it was a fun game where you're you're looking, you're trying to collect cactus flowers without getting pricked by the cactuses, cacti. I'm just gonna stop saying that word. And uh, and you had to you you the cards are face down. You got to declare which side you're gonna pick it up from. The more flowers that are showing on the back of the card tells you that how many sides have pricks on them where and you flip it over and if you didn't get pricked you get to collect that flower so it's a set collection game gotcha um, pretty simple and then uh, vegetable was a game about running your own farmer's market booth and it's a little bit like a game we had in uh, from gigamech games called rune um, again super light and fluffy but it's uh, you're building out your farmer's market and you get points based on grouping vegetables together. But a lot of the cards have mice on them. So you've got to layer your cards in such a way to group your vegetables without, um, you know, you, the mice count is negative. So you're trying to cover up mice whenever you possibly can. Interesting. And hide them from, from view. 
Those, game, were all, those were all super. They were they're super fun. Everybody had a good time with them. One game I'll point out for our video game lovers out in the world is Stardew Valley is out. Oh uh, yeah, we should maybe we should have led with that one. A super popular video game, a minimalist design where you're just basically taking care of a farm. Really had a sweet spot for so many people that are looking for you know non-confrontational games. This is somewhat the same. You are still building a farm, gaining points through that way, uh, and it looks incredible. It, it pulls all of that art that has become so iconic for Stardew Valley as well. Yeah, and it's still cooperative, so there's yes. still like that no conflict going along with it as well. So, um, yeah, that one's been pretty popular so far. The other one that's kind of cool that's in there, that's this is a brand new one, is called Bureau of Investigation. I saw that. That from the Sherlock Holmes series, correct? It's exactly what it is. Um, Space Cowboys has three different Sherlock Holmes games that are out. And each box set has five kind of mysteries to uncover. Um, and uh, you kind of get the setup in there. And they're filled with stuff like newspaper articles and clippings and things of that nature. And you've got to decipher, like, what's important and what's nonsense. If you read the Sherlock Holmes books, um, the original one from uh, Sir, it was Conan Doyle, right? Um they Sherlock would just deduce things based on what he had maybe read in a newspaper article. And so these games really brought that forward and they're, they're kind of challenging, right? Um, the Bureau of Investigation is the original name of the FBI uh -huh. um, before they were the Federal Bureau of Investigation. And um, so it's set in now, it's the same style game set in America versus being set in, in the UK. And, um, you know, I was talking to somebody about it. He's like, what do you mean? I'm like, well, the first instance that I remember reading about the Bureau of Investigation was in the book, The Devil in the White City, which I don't know if you've read that one or not. I have not. It's uh, it's about Chicago's, or, and really a lot of people say America's first serial killer. Chicago hosted the Columbian World Exposition in 1892, celebrating at the time they were celebrating the 400 year, you know, Columbus sailed the ocean blue in 1492, right? Of a Columbus, you know, air quotes, uh, discovering America. Um, and it was, it was a world's fair in Chicago. And this guy ran a boarding house and, and they think that he, he killed upwards of 40 or 50 people who were coming to Chicago to go to the world's fair and just wanted to stay at this boarding house. And he, he, all the things that they've uncovered about him. There are documentaries. You can read the book, Devil in the White City, which is amazing. There's documentaries about him on Netflix and, and Amazon. Obviously, as a serial killer, not a nice person. And, right. And all this, and, and there was a couple of guys from the Bureau of Investigation tracking him down. And then he got away from them in Chicago and they tracked him to multiple other cities. Um, and they would find him because people started disappearing in those cities. And I, they finally caught up with him on the East Coast, I thought. And, and so... Uh, I don't know if H.H. Holmes is in this as a story, but that was just kind of that first place that I remember ever hearing the term Bureau of Investigations. So it kind of a, took us on a little tangential sideline. But that there. could be what you're expecting if you open this game. Yeah. Now, if you want to open this game, you can obviously come into the store. Is there anything going on this week that might make people want to come in? Um, yes. Oh, man, so many things. Okay, so... 
obviously, so there's a fundraiser today, but nobody's going to hear this podcast till tomorrow. So yes. that's not, so we'll skip on to that one. Monday is the release of Astral Radiance, which is the new Pokemon set. So uh, pre-release stores that are through the Pokemon Play Network, in which we're a pre-release store, get to start selling it Monday. Um, Non-pre-release stores will have it on Friday. So that's the new Pokemon set. Um, a couple weeks were coming up real fast on the Baldur's Gate Commander Legends set. So the pre-release that for that is coming up real fast as well. And that a lot of people are looking forward. This is the second time we've had a magic set that is um, set uh, that's pulling its source material from Dungeons and Dragons. We talked, we had a podcast where I think we talked about it for 45 minutes last year. Ad nauseum, yep. Yep, for Adventures for Atenrolf. So this time it's specifically Baldur's Gate. Uh, so we're expecting to see Minsk and Boo cards. The spoilers, I think, might actually start Monday, tomorrow. Um, and we'll see what's going on in there. And this is a commander-based set, not a, a regular magic set. So it's a special set. Um We've got uh, Digimon pre-release was yesterday, so that's already passed. I'm just thinking through my head real quick. We're, we, we've got another Zombicide game coming up. Um, we're going to do Zombicide the second Friday of each month. And so we had a lot of fun. Uh, six of us played last time, and, and we're, we're keeping that forward. Jesse and I are leaving for a conference um, in Madison. We're going to be up there for a couple days. And that means uh, Ryan and Alexis are going to be running the store and uh, with an iron uh, boot to anybody's head that needs it. It's true. Yeah. And uh, they're going to be amazing doing that. Um, man, there's just a lot of stuff going on. There always is. You know, one big thing that we have never talked about in this podcast is um, one of the things we've done in the past that has been super, super popular is a used board game auction. Yes. We have not been able to do it because of the pandemic for a, for a couple of years, and we have a used board game auction scheduled for the end of June. I, I'm dropping the date right now. It might be like the 22nd or something, but we're going to do it different than we've done in the past because um, in the past, we've always packed people into the basement, and it was super hot and super uncomfortable, right? Um, there were even people like sitting on the stairs going up because we were out of chairs. There was no room for more chairs. So we're going to use an app this time and we're going to, we'll post a lot more details coming up, but we're going to use an app called what's not. And what's not is a, everybody can download it on the phone and, um, it, it, it handles all of the bidding. It handles the collection of money. It tells us who the winner is. So this first round out as a beta test for this, before we get um, used games from our customers, this first night out, we're gonna try this and it's only gonna be used demo games. So a staff members, Ariel has been rocking this out, are going through demo games that we can no longer purchase. Um, and uh, you know our demo games, we try to keep the demo rack to make things fit. We try to keep it focused on games we could order for somebody if they liked it. So we've got a ton of demo games that are gonna go on to this. We're verifying all the parts and we're gonna try this auction on, it's a Sunday night towards the end of June and there will be a lot more details coming out, but that'll be fun too. And if this works, then we'll work on the next step, which would be to do kind of our old school auction format where we accept submissions from customers 
And uh, the cool thing about this too is that anybody who's watching, um, it won't be just limited to Bloomington Normal could you attend. You know, people have always asked us can for the other auctions we've done, can I bid online? And we've never had a way to do that. Well, this right. whole thing will essentially be online and it's gonna make it a lot cleaner for everybody across the board. So so that's something if you're if I pricked your ears up, listen for more details of that coming up. Um, in the next couple of weeks, because uh, we're shooting to do that towards the end of June. One thing I didn't realize when I started into my board game uh, obsession was that there's some games that just don't get republished and yeah. only exist if you can find someone willing to sell them. So avenues like this is a great way to maybe find some hidden gems that you didn't even know were out there. It, it, it's a product of there are the growing popularity of our, of our industry. There are so many board games being put out now, and some of them uh, don't get good reviews, but they turn into like cult classic favorites. It's just like a movie, right? Exactly. You know, uh, we sponsored the the community theater players theater their presentation of Clue. When Clue came out in movie theaters, it bombed. But it's now like a cult classic movie. God, I love Tim Curry in that movie. Unlike Hackers, which was good as soon as it came out, and everyone still appreciates to this day. Yeah, and um, and, and board games can be like that too. You know, people will ask us all the time. Like, uh, as an example, Shadowhunters, right? Yes. Uh, if and because so companies aren't just reprinting over and over; they're doing a calculated business decision of did we sell this whole print run? Okay, should maybe that's a trigger, but yes, we sold the whole print run, but not fast enough because it ties up capital for everybody. And so, um, you know, there's a, if a game doesn't sell fast enough, even though it may sell out, if it doesn't sell fast enough, it might not get a reprint. And that's just a factor of there's like what three thousand games came out last year, yeah. and so stores can't stock them all. We sure can't. We don't have space for that. No store has space for three thousand board games. Um, so if a game doesn't print fast enough, you, you maybe a game that you love, uh, it, it just isn't reprinted anymore. And yeah, the only way of tracking it down is to find it someplace. And um, at one of the auctions we had here, I picked up uh, Formula Day. Not Formula D, Formula Day, the original French one uh, game, and a ton of tracks uh, that somebody's like, we never play it anymore. And we, I played the bejesus out of that stuff. And it turns out the tracks now are worth like a hundred bucks a piece online because they have, they've never reprinted them, right? Yeah. Um, and so this will be a cool way to take some of the demo games first that we have that are no longer in print and we're gonna put those out there as well. And, and there's some really amazing games that are in there that we're just sad that they stopped making them. Um, and then if this works, then we'll we'll turn to our, our customers and say, okay, what do you have that you're no longer playing that you want to turn into, you know, you know, store credit for um, to Your find next the next the next big game that's coming out. Yeah. Well, uh, for more information about that and how that's all going to go down, make sure to check out the Facebook page for Red Raccoon Games. That's where you post lots of live videos about new things within the shop. It's a great place that you can go and watch the video about the uh, building that was just bought. That's on YouTube as well. It's on YouTube as well. Excuse me. Uh, but for us, that's where we're coming to an end today. Uh, join us again in two weeks where hopefully we'll have even more fun things to talk about. Yeah. Uh, but until then, keep playing. Thank you, everybody. We appreciate you.